I love you. Good to see you all. Let's have a word of prayer before we start into the word. Lord, thank you for the privilege of being here tonight. We ask that you would fill this room with your presence, that you would supernaturally touch each of us in a very real way, that you would open up the eyes of our heart to see, the ears of our spiritual heart to hear and understand. And Lord, we just give you permission to shape us, to mold us, uh, to convict us, to enlighten us, uh, to motivate us. Lord, we just want to grow and to change. We know that your word is living and active and sharp as a two-edged sword, able to pierce to the very core of our being between soul and spirit, judging the thoughts and intents of our heart. We'd ask that you would work in us. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, grant me a special anointing to be able to teach clearly your word in such a way that it's understood and it is it impacts each person. We love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So <clears throat> I've been preaching for 46 years and over that time it's hard to be um, unique every week. You know, there's just so much to preach on. I mean, in that, in a, uh, there's not an unlimited topic. There's sort of basic things. I'm a basic person, uh, and so I tend to teach and preach on not a large number of topics, but I do it over and over and over and over, almost to the point of, Pastor, I think I've heard that before. In fact, Pastor, if you want to take a seat, I'll preach it for you. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's good to know stuff. And you don't really live it until you know it. So if you were to say, what is the sermon topic that I preach more often? Probably read the Bible every day, every day, every day. I probably say that more than anything else in my whole life. Read the Bible every day. And as many times as I say that, if we were to just do a little, you know, how many do that? There's quite a few of you. Oh, I, I, I'm trying. I'm working on it. Not there yet. Okay, well, I'll just keep nagging, and that's my spiritual gift, is nagging. And, or praying. You, you know, you need to pray every day. You need to pray with your wife if you're married. You need to pray with the church during corporate prayer times. I just say that over and over and over and over again. And so with those topics, we can say, okay, let's take a guess. We'll say, what's Pastor D going to preach on tonight? Well, if you have your notes, you know it says it right there at the top of it. And it just happened to be the passage. I'm going through First Peter and this is where we landed. So that's what I have to preach. So let me read it to you. First Peter 2.12. Keep your behavior excellent. My mother used to tell me that all the time. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Gentiles here means those that don't know Jesus. Lost people. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers. You ever hear people say bad things about Christians? Sure they do, all the time. So that, and the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation, that's the day that Jesus takes us back to heaven. And on that day, they say, I love you, Jesus. Why? Well, because they trusted Jesus. Why? Because they observed your life. You influenced people towards faith in Jesus. 
And so when we talk about living the Christian life, we would say, what's the bottom line, really? The bottom line, really, is influencing people that don't know Jesus to move towards him. And at some point, they trust him as their personal savior. They're born again. They're adopted into the family of God. They're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God's son, Jesus. That's a supernatural event that occurs for a reason, and it's because of what they hear and understand and believe. And the only source for that information is other believers. But we tend to be pretty irresponsible and don't really do that much. And so um, that's my point of nagging tonight. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then you need to be a fisher of men. That is your work diligently on attracting people to faith in Christ. So number one in your notes, God expects that we will be a diligent witness for Jesus as a way of life. As a way of life. That's what we do. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's our middle name. We are a witness for Jesus. And every place we go, that's what we do. That doesn't mean that we're preaching It doesn't mean that we're obnoxious. It doesn't mean that we're an irritant. But it does mean that we, in some way, are influencing. And we're thinking about it. We're pondering it. We're working at it. Uh, It's a goal of our life. John 17, 18. As you sent me into the world, Jesus speaking here, talking to his disciples, I also have sent them into the world. I have sent them. That's me and you. Jesus has sent us, commissioned us. John 20, 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also have sent you. 2 Corinthians, one of the key passages in in the New Testament for this responsibility that we've been given. Now, all these things are from God, who reconciled us. Reconciled us, that means he took care of our sin problem. We don't have a sin problem anymore. It doesn't mean we don't sin. It means that it's not going to keep us out of heaven. He reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given that ministry by Jesus. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. That's reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. That's the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So I am an ambassador for Jesus. That's my calling. That's uh, what I ought to have as a way of life in all that I do. Number two, the Holy Spirit lives in us and will give us power to live the Christian life successfully unless we choose not to be a witness. So I work on cars, old cars, only old cars, not new cars. I don't understand new cars, old cars. I have a 1969 Mustang I'm working on most days. I have a 1950 Ford Club Coupe with a flathead V8 that I'm working on. And so I like working on cars. And it's pretty straightforward. If the engine won't start, there's a couple of reasons. One is getting no gas. Another one, they're getting no spark. That's pretty much it. You check those and you can get the engine running. So if you have no power, if you just sort of limp along in your Christian life struggling continually, 
Uh, there's a couple of reasons. One is you don't spend any time with God reading his word or praying. The other one is that you don't do what God gave you the power to do. And if you don't do what he gave you the power to do, his power is not going to work. That's this bottom line. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So, so, suppose you don't witness. How's the power doing? It's not. It's not. It's like the key turned off on your car. If you don't choose to be a witness for Jesus, even just a little choice, just an easy-bincy act of obedience in the direction of being a witness ignites the power. But if you go through life working, mowing lawns, watching television, watching Super Bowl, eating dinner, going to sleep, brushing your teeth, you just do regular old stuff and being a witness for Jesus never enters your head. You don't make a choice in that direction you are a powerless Christian. And you can quote all the verses in the Bible about, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. It won't make any difference. If you don't do what the power was given to you to do, you don't have any power. It's as simple as that. The Holy Spirit was given to us primarily to be a witness for Jesus. And there's all kinds of secondary purposes, fruit of the Spirit, strength, Joy, but the first primary stated, most emphatic stated purpose of the Holy Spirit was to do what Jesus did. That is to seek and to save the lost. And if we don't do that, then we are powerless as believers. Number three, the intimidation that keeps most Christians from doing much as a witness for Jesus is caused by the devil and his demons. Now, they don't want unbelievers being transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. They don't want that. So th these demons, they just, they, they don't get you in a headlock. They don't put a ring in your nose. They don't hit you with a stick. They just follow you around and jabber at you. Tuck, 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 tuck. And the thoughts pop into your head. And their goal is to create fear in you of what people think if you were to in any way mention Jesus. We Christians are just terribly intimidated by the whole aspect of witnessing. And it's, you know, I've never, ever had anybody hit me when I said Jesus. I mean, I've had some make faces and say rude statements, but nobody's ever hit me. Um, nobody's ever threatened me. Pretty mild. I probably get more negative comments on driving a Ford than I do saying the name of Jesus. But that intimidates us. And the reason is because the devil does not want us to influence people out of his domain. And so he is going to create all kinds of mental roadblocks in us to keep us from doing it. And so the question is, are you going to let him win you're going to let him control your life. Um, 
I just kind of like the idea of stomping on him and uh, humiliating him and uh, conquering him. Number four, our obedience and being a witness for Jesus is a huge factor in how much of God's power we have in every area of our lives. Our obedience and being a witness is a major, major issue and how much power you have as you live your life on a daily basis. Uh, you know, how you doing as a husband? How you doing as a wife? How you doing as a parent? How you doing as just a person at work in the way you talk and the way you act and the way you treat people and the way you think? How much power do you have? Well, a lot of that struggle is because we're not choosing as an act of our will to be a witness for Jesus. Number five, the most important first step, first step to being a successful witness for Jesus is to identify lost people in our life. Write their names down and pray for them at least once a week. Every day is best, but at least once a week. Now, I talked about the fear factor, the intimidation factor. How hard is it to do that? I mean, nobody even knows. You go to work, you look around your neighborhood, you think about family, and you just think, who do I know that doesn't know Jesus? And write their names down. I've got a pretty long list. And... And then you just pray for them. There's nothing scary about that. But you know what you're doing? You're taking a step of obedience in the direction of being a witness for Jesus. Once you take a step of obedience in the direction of being a witness for Jesus, you turn the key on. And you're going to begin to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working. Every step is doable. And the next step is easier because of the last step. And you just keep moving. And pretty soon, you're influencing people in a gracious, natural, lifestyle kind of way. That's making a huge difference because you've got the power of God living in your life. Romans 10.1, Brethren, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. My prayer to God for them is for their salvation. Number six, the more we pray for lost people in our life, the more boldness God will give us to talk to them about Jesus. So in the Bible, you will find some, what I call, direct cause and effect. A direct cause and effect is, put your hand here, hit it with a hammer. What's going to be the effect? It's going to be... Pretty observable. If you do it a second time, same thing happens. Third time, same thing happens. If you do it, same thing happens. It's a direct, predictable cause and effect. The Bible is full of those. Do this, this happens. Do this, this happens. Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak the word of God with boldness. When they had prayed... They went out and spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, there is a major direct. Do this, this happens. Do this, this happens. And so, take a step of obedience in the direction of being a witness for Jesus. Look around. Identify people that don't know Jesus. Write their name down and pray for them every day. You do that and God will give you boldness. And it will be so much easier so much more natural, so much more enjoyable to talk to people about Jesus. It'll be sort of almost a game. 
I, I've told you some of the funny things I do. You know, just kind of line up with a bunch of guys fishing and start singing. And they look at me strange, but it's even stranger because of the song I sing. There's somebody standing near me that I know. And if it were Bill, I would say, Jesus loves me more than Bill. Yeah, yeah, Jesus loves me more than Bill. Somebody will say something. Every time. They will say something. They will say, excuse me. Doesn't Jesus love everybody the same? Really? Where'd you hear that? Then you know a great question. Does he love you? I mean, it's so easy after that. And you mean you may not sing? I mean, you may not be that. Uh, it's kind of fun just to sing and see what people will say. But whatever, it, it you lose the intimidation. It's gone when you pray. When you pray, God fills you with boldness. It's a cause and effect basic principle of Scripture. But the fact is, most of us don't take the time to do that, to pray for lost people every day. It doesn't take very long, but it is amazingly effective if we would do it. Number seven, connecting with them often in personal conversation, email, text messages, phone call, just being friendly is important. <clears throat> so, I was having a sort of a minor debate with a person in a seminar I was doing on this topic. And they said, I'm not sure I really agree with you that praying for people every day is going to make that much difference. I said, let's suppose I have a fence post next where I drive in my driveway. And uh, every day when I turn in there, I pray for that fence post. Why would anybody pray for a fence post? But I don't know, but I do. I pray for that fence post every day. So if somebody sneaks in there and pulls that fence post out and steals it, when I drive in my driveway, am I going to notice? Sure. Who stole my fence post? They're just, I pray for Bill every day. Then when I go to work or walk out of my front door or go fishing, I notice him. Why? Because I prayed for him every day. There's just something hardwires in you. When you pray for somebody every day, then you notice them. When you go, you see him in the store, you notice him because you prayed for him every day. And then it's a simple matter of walking up and saying, Hi, how you doing? Catching any fish lately? How you feeling? Oh, life is great, isn't it? Just whatever. Just carry on a conversation. You just are nice. Just be friendly with the people that you're praying for. Uh, every day, and it will be easy to do. Eight, it's important that when we talk to unbelievers that we talk nice. You know that, don't you? <clears throat> there was a guy fishing next to me in Alaska, and he says to me, how old are you? I said, I'm 74. He says, man, you're old. He said, you're probably getting close to dying. He says, suppose you died tonight. 
and you stood before God, and he said, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? I always love it when somebody starts witnessing to me. And I says, well, you know, I'd probably tell him that I've been a pretty good person. I've tried hard. I've followed the golden rule. And then he quotes some verses out of Romans about all of sin and false short of the glory of God. And I'm kind of leading him along there. And then pretty soon I thought, this is kind of being mean. And I says, uh, you know, I just want to compliment you. You have done a great job. I'm a pastor, and I, I do what you're doing. And I teach people how to do this. And you're, you're great. If I weren't a believer, I'd become a believer right now. And he laughs, and he asked me what church went. We had a great time. But I thought, that was so cool. Just to have somebody, somebody at the fair, the show that we did, the sportsman show. There was a booth there. I walked up, same thing. And I did the same thing. And somebody from our church was behind him laughing as I was sort of leading him on here. But it was fun. Um, but I was impressed because they talked nice. They were very gracious in their speech. And it was an enjoyable conversation in spite of what I might have believed. First Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may be because of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Number nine, grumbling, complaining destroys our blessing and anointing from God in our contact with lost people. So I would just suggest to you that there is very few things that you can do that will just cancel out your witness, influence with lost people as much as grumbling and complaining does. It just sort of makes our faith hypocritical when we grumble about life, uh, when we say we trust God. And so if you want to be a witness for Jesus, one of the things that you need to do is make a personal goal and commitment that you are not going to grumble or complain about anything. That's our culture. Everybody does it. Uh, and so we just have to rise above that and not do it. Philippians 2.14, do all things, all things, everything, without grumbling or disputing, so that you may prove yourselves to be blameless. Prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent. Now, we're not blameless and innocent, but we look like it if we don't grumble. Children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, we appear like lights in the midst of a crooked, perverse, dark world when we simply are positive and rejoice and are happy and sing and don't complain and don't grumble. Number 10, gossiping, slandering other people is just about the worst thing we can do with a lost person. Again, you watch the news, that's what it is. It's just... Uh, slandering people right and left. And so that's our culture. That's what we do. And, but as a believer, as a witness for Jesus, it's got to be totally um, foreign to you. Psalms 15, 1. O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell in your holy hill? He who walks with integrity, works righteousness, and he does not slander with his tongue. He does not slander with his tongue. Who may abide in your tent? I have a tent, um, and I don't let just anybody sleep in my tent with me. I've got to make sure they don't snore. <laughs> who may abide in God's tent? The one who doesn't slander. 
Psalm 101, verse 5, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Number 11, it's important to raise the flag often in conversation. So this is a, a, a really simple thing to do. Very easy to do, but effective. That simply means you make some comment about your church. Yeah, this guy I go to church with, he has a boat. Or uh, I was talking uh, with, I went up to the sportsman's show in Portland today. I just love going to those and drooling all over the fishing rods and coveting everything in there. And uh, there was a guide that I wanted to go with. He's a walleye guide up out of the Dallas, and I've been wanting to do that. He says, I said, what days you got open? He says, this is the days I said, none of those work for me. He says, oh, they work for most people. I say, yeah, I'm a pastor of a church, and I work on weekends. He says, oh, okay. Well, let's see if we can find it. And then he says uh, to me a little later after we talked fishing a little bit, he says, so do you fish a lot? I said, yeah, I do. Every chance I get. And I fish with people in our church. A lot of people in our church like to fish. In fact, I would probably bring two or three of them with me if I book a trip with you. Oh, really? Okay. I said, do you go to church? Uh, occasionally. What church do you go to? Well, um, uh, I can't remember. Catholic church? Protestant church? Um, I think it was a Catholic. I can't remember. Okay, cool. And uh, that was it. But you just identify with Jesus in some casual, offhand way. Just raise the flag. And so they know that you are a Christian or at least a follower of God. And it's not hard to do. You just make mention of church, reading the Bible, a friend that goes to church, whatever. It's just something. It's easy to do. But it's amazing how non-church, well, their ears will just perk right up. To what you say, once you say that, there's something very supernatural about you when you identify with Jesus, even in sort of an offhand way. Raise the flag. Twelve, offering to pray for a need as we hear them speak of it is very powerful in moving people closer to faith in Christ. <clears throat> I don't know if you saw the football game here uh, about a month ago, I guess, when one of the players got hurt very badly, in fact, his heart quit, and they took him in an hand. Well, both teams, both teams got down on their knees and started praying, and the camera did not pull away. They left it on there. And then the commentators started talking about praying. Let's pray for everybody. I mean, it was, I thought it was going to be a revival right there on the TV uh, in the football field. It was amazing, the transformation that took place, but it was all around the topic of prayer. Nobody mentioned God or Jesus or the Bible, just prayer. Everybody believes in prayer. Even if they don't believe in God, they believe in prayer. It's kind of funny. I have offered to pray for lots and lots and lots of people that I didn't know from Adam. And nobody I have ever had has said no. I'm sure somebody will someday or somebody may have, but nobody has ever said no. Could I pray for you? Could I pray for your marriage? Could I pray for your uh, son? Could I pray for your job? Whatever it is that they say, people like to unload. And so if you ask a question about how life's going, eh, I've had better days. Got a problem at work? Well, no, I've got a problem with my wife. Huh, that's too bad. 
Could I pray? I could, I'd pray for you right now, if, or I'd pray for, later if you'd rather. Oh, okay. Once they say okay, that is an admission, a statement of faith that prayer will have an impact and that there must be someone that listens and would do something about their problem. And whenever anybody verbalizes a statement of faith, even as simple as, okay, you can pray for me, they're moving. They're moving. You've influenced them. And it's absolutely easy to do. And people don't get offended by it. It's almost always accepted quite graciously. 13, good deeds that meet real felt needs that our, uh, that our friend is experiencing is anointed by God. Anointed, I mean God enters into that situation and works supernaturally in a lost person's heart and mind. It could be as simple as tuning up their car, loaning them a tool, taking them a meal. It's just, listen, you hear and you hear a need and you just offer to meet the need. Acts 10, 38, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him. God anointed him, Jesus, God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good deeds. God anointed him, he went about doing good deeds. When you choose to do a good deed for a lost person, then God's anointing, that's his supernatural power and in the, the person you're talking to as well. Titus 2, 6, in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds, of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Titus 3, 8, those who are believers, those who are believers in God must be careful to engage in good deeds. Titus 3, 14, let our people also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs that they may not be unfruitful. Unfruitful means they uh, bring people to Jesus. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good, good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. 1 Peter 2, 12 again. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. 14, when we faithfully pray for our lost friends, God will open our eyes to see opportunities to do good deeds for them. I went out and did a bunch of sanding on my 69 Mustang. And, you know, you sand and dust gradually gets on my glasses. It's slow enough, gradual enough, that I don't notice that pretty soon I can hardly see. And it isn't until I walk out and go in the house that Patty says, Oh, your glasses are filthy. Whoa, yeah. I can see. Cool. Um, When you pray, when you raise the flag, when you do good deeds for people, you will gain this vision from God to see opportunities. You'll be ultra-sensitive to the person, what they say, um, needs that they have, opportunities to interject the gospel. <clears throat> Fifteen, when we do good deeds for people, our prayer power with God on their behalf goes up. 
So we're again talking about cause and effect. You do this, this happens. You do this, this happens. God says, this is how I operate. By certain principles and rules, drop a rock on your foot, it's going to hurt every time. That's because there's a law of gravity. God created it. There's spiritual laws that God's created. Know what they are, follow them, and things work well. You pray for, uh, uh, do good deeds for people, and when you pray for them, God's working, answering your prayers will go up and up. You gain horsepower with God, as it were. First John 3.22 Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because, because there's almost always a because. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And then verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in good deeds. He says, whatever we ask, we receive because, because we love one another. And then he says, this is what love is, good deeds. 16, when we do good deeds for people, they will become more responsive to us as we attempt to influence them in the, in the direction of faith in Jesus. Somebody said to me uh, one time that, you know, I've invited this person to our Easter service six years in a row, and they always say no. And I said, have you ever done anything for them in the sense of loan them a tool, take a meal to them, anything that you've heard them say as a need? Have you ever done any good deed for them? Uh, Not that I can remember. I'll bet you. Let's make it $20, huh? I'll bet you that if you do a good deed for them, then invite them to the Easter service, they'll say yes. Worth trying. You might win 20 bucks if it doesn't work out. They said, well, all right, I'll try it, but I won't give you 20 bucks or you don't have to give me 20. Okay, that's good. Um, Galatians 6, 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men. 17, doing good deeds for others takes a lot of time, energy, and money. God will provide it. He will provide it. His law is given. It will be given to you. Good measure, shaken down, running over. And so when you do things for lost people, God rewards that many times over because that's what he wants us to do. Influence lost people. And he will bless you in every way when you choose to do it. Take some time, he'll give you more time. Not create more time, but take away time wasters, emergencies, things that suck away your time. Spend some money, he'll give you some back, even more. Give some energy, you'll get more back. Whatever you give to reach people that don't know Jesus, you'll get back. And then some... Second Thessalonians 2.16 Now may our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace comfort and strengthen, strengthen your hearts in every good deed and word. 18 I invite my lost friends to come to church periodically especially for special events. So you got these people you're praying for and you're striking up a conversation periodically with them listen for opportunity to do a good deed for them. Then Easter rolls around. We're going to have this unbelievably good concert. 
And you happen to see him. Hey, by the way, our church is having a musical concert for Easter. You want to come? Maybe they'll say yes. Maybe they don't, they'll say no. And so he just asked. And the probability of them coming goes up every time you ask. The more you pray, the more good deeds you do, the more you pray for their needs. It just keeps going up. Number 19, when we do good deeds for others for the purpose of bringing them to Jesus, he, Jesus, will fill us with his pleasure and joy. There's not much in life that has more reward for us from God than when we do his work as ambassadors for Jesus. Twenty, each of us needs to be prepared to share the gospel with any person that God would open the door for us to share with. So one of the things that happens to me periodically is somebody in our church will call me and I'll say, Pastor D, could you talk to this person that I am talking to? I said, what am I talking to them about? Well, they have some questions about the gospel. Why are you calling me? Well, because I'm not sure what to say. That is bad. There's no other way to describe it. That's just bad. It doesn't take that much work, study, to learn the gospel so that you could say it. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. Uh, even if you just carry a track uh, in your pocket and use it. First Timothy 4.16, Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere, persevere, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation. You will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Always being ready. Persevere in these things. And so it's a pretty simple little thing. And you can learn a couple of questions. Um, You know, the question I use all the time. All the time I use it. It works so well. If you died tonight and stood before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? And if they say, well, yeah, I don't know. Could I share with you how I have come to know for sure that if I died, I would go to heaven? They'll say yes or no. They say, yes, I'll launch you into the gospel. You know the gospel? Five fingers. Jesus is God. Jesus is God, equal with the Father, always been, always will be. He's eternal. He's God. He became man, just like me, just like you, experienced everything we experienced, but he didn't sin, not even one little bitty sin. He was nailed to a cross while he hung there. God took all of my sins, every one of them, plucked them off me like apples off an apple tree, put them on Jesus, looked at Jesus as if he actually did it, committed it. He became sin in my place. Then God the Father punished Jesus for my sins. He took my place. He was my substitute. He died. He was buried. And he rose from the dead. And he's alive today. And I get to live with him forever. Because I believe that. 
So the gospel is ABC. Admit that you can't do it on your own. Admit that you are a sinner, that you're lost. Believe the gospel and then commit your life to following him. How hard is that? Anybody can learn that. And it's supernatural. It's supernatural. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God. The words are supernatural. So you just say it. Jesus is God. He became flesh. He lived a perfect sinless life. He became my sin. He took my sin upon himself. He paid the penalty of my sin. He died. He rose again. He's alive today. That's the gospel. It's supernatural. And God uses it to transform people. Do you believe that? And then they're in forever and ever and ever and ever. But it's intimidating because the devil makes it intimidating. So we just step back say, that's the pastor's job. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I'm an introvert. And then we live powerless Christian lives. And so it's a choice. Just start out, easy step. Write down the names of people that you work with, you live next door to, you're related to, that don't know Jesus. Pray for them every day. And from there on, it's a piece of cake. You just start with that first step. And then you'll be amazed at how everything else just flows. But you've got to start. You've got to start and you've got to choose. You've got to act. And when you do... Um, it's a great life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for saving us. Thank you that someone shared with us, someone prayed for us, someone intervened in our life in such a way that we heard the gospel, we believed the gospel, and we're in your family now. We're going to live with you forever. We get a glorified body. And as we live our life now, Lord, we don't want to just simply use up our time, tread water as it were. We would like to make a difference And you have given us the Holy Spirit living in us to grant us the power. You will orchestrate our life. You will open up doors, provide divine appointments. But, Lord, we've got to take that step, Uh, even just a little step of obedience to what you've called us to do. I pray that we would all do that, and we would do it every day. We would be your witnesses, your ambassadors, and that we would influence people to come to know you as Savior and Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.